This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Now, we're back Again, why why do we do it to ourselves? Why why after what was a tumultuous match on Sunday evening, Sunday morning for you? Why why do we do it to ourselves? What why on earth? Why why? That's what I've been asking myself. Why? Yeah, it's stressful. I'd say that the highs, the lows, make the highs a lot better, right? Yeah. yeah. If every if every day was sunny, then the sunny days aren't really but wait, something to marvel at anymore. City fans don't have lows. It's just highs. Like, how can you spot that has no lows? So, I that mean, is true. We, we have to be happy, don't we? Um, apart from the football, how was your weekend? It was lovely. I had a uh, nice weekend away up at the mountain that I, I always tend to escape to. Um, mm. But it was the first weekend that I've had off with Laura in a long time. So we went and got a cabin up at the mountain. Did some uh, some hiking along the Salmon River. Saw some some salmon running through the streams. Uh, yeah, it was very, very, very nice. And then obviously Sunday morning happened. Hmm. Um, but other than that, it was a lovely weekend. What happened on Sunday? I'm blissfully unaware. What happened My fantasy football team lost. Ah, there we go. There we go. Um, right, okay, we, we have to do it. We are 
well, we're not contractually obliged to do it, but the next best thing, we will provide some expert intake, as always, on the going downs from this weekend. Let's kick this tweet off with uh, City Report extraordinaire Colin. He tweeted a photo inside Anfield after full time. Philosophically, may I add, putting, if someone said £50 to enter this restaurant, you're either going to get your head caved in or you're going to get an unlimited supply of pizza and the last 19 times you've had your head caved in, would you come back for a 20th time? It feels a little bit like City are there with Anfield and Liverpool now, doesn't it? There had perhaps never been a better time or a better chance for City to get that win at Anfield with fans. I'll add the caveat, with fans, because I think the 2020-21 season was, was a bit crazy in all sorts of ways. Everything was set up for a City battering, but what unfolded was quite simply put anything but um let's try and work through things as methodically as possible then starting with the team selection Gundogan in Grealish out Foden across to the left De Bruyne almost playing as the sort of the most advanced right-sided player at times along with Cancelo who adopted this winger role right wing back but not quite high enough to be a winger and De Bruyne was sort of operating in that it was all a bit weird. Um, Cancelo over to the right-hand side of defence, having played left-back for, for pretty much the whole season. Ake as the left-back. All a bit of a mess. All a bit of a scrambled-together-looking lineup, And one which, for me, the performance matched. Yeah, I mean, I had plenty of gripes coming in um, when I first saw the lineup. I think, initially, my issue wasn't with the City lineup. It was seeing the glaring holes in Liverpool's lineup and feeling like we weren't set up to attack those deficiencies. Um, and I think it played out that way. Um, you know, when we when we see this lineup from Pep, like we've seen a few times in the last season or two where all of the midfielders play. A winger comes out for one of the central midfielders, mm. like Bernardo coming out uh, in on the wing or, or De Bruyne on the wing, whatever it may be. We know that Pep is going for uber control. Mm. which I, I understand going to Anfield. Um, when I don't understand it is this time around, this Liverpool team felt like they were there for the taking. You know, they conceded three goals to Brighton at home. They've conceded, you know, four goals to Napoli. They they conceded three goals to United. Like this team felt like it was there for the taking. Um, and I don't think City went out of their way to take advantage of that. And that's my gripe with this. I don't think it was some disastrous, disgraceful performance. I think that they just didn't push the buttons that could have been pushed hard enough. Yeah, yeah. It made it a level playing field when, as we've seen throughout this season, it was anything but from both sets of teams. Um, the omission of Jack Grealish for me was crazy genuinely crazy he, he's a player who has featured in all of City's big wins this season I think back to the United game where he was one of the best players on the pitch the Foden Grealish wing combination has been City's best this season bar absolutely none and, and while Bernardo Silva didn't end up playing out wide like some expected when the team news dropped it took away one of City's main midfield threats in Kevin De Bruyne who for me sort of was being told to operate in that 
how would you define it? Probably like the the half space, half back roll of that right hand side, and, and it was quite abundantly clear City's only attacking threat was De Bruyne trying to cross it into Haaland. Um, and, and I mean, Rodri Bernardo De Bruyne has been the best midfield in the Premier League this season. It's probably only rivaled by Real Madrid in Europe in terms of a midfield free, it, it felt a massive mistake at the time to rip that up. And it feels like an even bigger mistake in retrospect. On the back of this, then, we, we, we've had a question from Ashley Haywood, who sent me a DM and said, you know, loving the podcast, guys, etc. Keep on going, blah, blah, blah. But I've got a question. And it reads from Ashley, Pep is a genius and I hope he stays forever. But does he get in his own head before some big games? And he, and he caveats that by saying big because it's a trip to Anfield against Liverpool, not because of their, their, their at this moment in time a title rival. This isn't the first time, he continues, he's changed a, win, a winning formula in a game like this. And, and to cap that off, it, it, it did feel a little bit galaxy brainy, which is something we felt as if Pep Guardiola has left alone the last 12 months or so. And especially since Haaland arrived, it has been a case of, you go out there and do, you do your thing, guys. You do your thing and we'll be fine. It felt like he tried to wrestle a little bit of that control back and it and it failed. You know, call a spade a spade. It failed. See, I think Pep has too much respect for football heritage. This is This is kind of how I thought about this this weekend is when he first came in to City... He did the same thing with United. You remember, you can think back to Ollie's United that would mm. turn us over twice a season, essentially, for a couple mm. of years. Um, and and you know, leading into the game, Pep would talk about, oh, it's it, you know, Manchester United, one of the greatest clubs in Europe, and we have this great rivalry with them, and blah 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 blah. And you can tell that he just like oozes respect for these mm. quote unquote big clubs. Um, and I think he does this with Liverpool, where with United, it eventually just clicked for him. I have better players, and I'm a better manager than anything United is going to throw at me. And now we trounced United twice a season. And I think he's doing the same thing with Liverpool, where he looks at Liverpool and just maybe he's trauma. He's got trauma from games of the past, or or I don't know what it is, but he just has this this oozing respect for this team when really. We have better players. We're in better form. Just go out and do exactly what got you all of the wins up to this point. You're on a 21-game unbeaten streak. Do what you've been doing to get to that point, and you should go on and win the game. But when you then treat a team that, let's be honest, sitting in 10th, leaking goals for fun, looks probably the worst they've ever looked under Klopp, you're treating them like they're, you know, it's the, it's late May and it's 92 points to 91 points and everything is on the line. It's not. It's another game against another team. Just treat it like another game against another team. Put your best lineup out that you've been playing in all of the other games this season and getting success and you go out and you win the game. But you treat them like they're something special and in return you got something special, quote unquote. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... I think anyone who's listened for a while will know by now that I'll throw you in there as well. But certainly, me, I'm I'm a miserable bugger, and I hate I hate when this happens because I saw this coming, and I don't, I don't mean necessarily the approach from City or the performance. I just mean the result in general, and and I saw it coming from the moment Bakayosaka last weekend slotted the penalty against Liverpool to make it 3-2 after what was a calamitous, truly laughable, calamitous performance from Liverpool away to Arsenal. Emirates is buzzing. You look at that and you look at what City have been doing this season and you go, 
a logical thinking person, or, or most neutrals would look at it and go, "That's City five nil all over." It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what happens. That's City five nil all over. Then they go on against Rangers. Yes, Rangers are a poor team. Uh, I don't buy the argument that Rangers have the same quality to compete. And Celtic, I'll throw Celtic in there as well, have the quality to compete with Premier League clubs. I think they're a mid-table championship team at best. But anyone who's played in a competitive sporting environment will know a, a big win, whether it's against the world champions or an under-10s team, a big confidence boost in win going into a, a, another big game is important and then obviously you arrive at Sunday Liverpool's team is looking as patched up as you'd ever you'd ever imagine it in your entire life you've got James Milner who's what 98 at this point playing at right back you've got a young lad in Harvey Elliott in midfield but they did a job and and I mean you can we'll look at City's approach before we speak about Liverpool in a second it's been criticised by some, and I think that's fair. You said that City were being too passive, allowing Liverpool too much respect. For me, I think there was there was some of that, but I also think there was a case of Liverpool doing a job on City. I felt City's setup saw them caught between two mindsets. On on one hand, you had it the the personnel was there to set up and control possession at Anfield, take whatever influence the crowd may have out of the game completely, pick Liverpool off patiently, a little bit like we saw at Old Trafford last season in the second half, albeit City didn't score at Old Trafford. I mean, they didn't score again here, so maybe it was the wrong approach to start off with. But that's what I felt the personnel was. On the other hand, there was a complete abandonment of the same principle City have played with this season, where we've seen them blitz teams in short bursts. I'm thinking Newcastle away when there was two goals in however quick succession. Crystal Palace at home, the odd occasion against United as well, where bang, 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 game over. There was a complete abandonment of that. There was, for some reason, straight out the Sam Allardyce school of thought, every single ball City got, primarily from Kevin De Bruyne, was just trying to hoop it into the space behind Liverpool, where usually they'd have that really high line and and the space would be there. It just wasn't there. It was like City would play with blindfolds at time, and that's what I think was the most frustrating. The the personnel said one thing, the approach said another, and, and you just end up with this jumbled up process. Yeah, and I think there were some pretty easy in-game shifts that could have been made. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, obviously I'm not Pep Guardioli. There's a reason he is who he is, and I'm here sitting in this chair in a small room in, in Oregon and not sitting <laughs> you know, pitch side at Anfield. But when I look at the setup of both teams and I see, okay, Liverpool's right side is James Milner, not mobile. Joe Gomez has been – pretty awful this season, has been getting ripped apart by wingers in one-on-one situations, and and Harvey Elliott tracking back to help out. I see a weakness. And how the City players and the City coaching staff don't see this weakness and say, let's throw everything down that side. Teams do it to Trent all, all the time. And I, if you're a Liverpool fan, you'd rather have Trent in there than James Milner. Whereas, like you mentioned, it looked like the only game plan was to just give the ball to Kevin De Bruyne on the on, out on the right wing and have him loop balls in. But who's defending on that side? It's Andy Robertson and Virgil Van Dyke. I, I fancy my chances against Milner, Gomez, and, and Harvey Elliott, other than Van Dyke and Robertson. But with the setup, with Cancelo playing down the right, there's nobody overlapping Phil Foden. Gundogan was kind of in and around there. Bernardo was in and around there. But I, I would like to see essentially 90 minutes straight of overloads down that side because you know that eventually they're going to break. Hmm. 
But that didn't happen. You would get Phil Foden, and because he doesn't have anyone overlapping him, his only option was to either go at Milner one-on-one, and yes, he should win that most of the time, but you have to say, and I'll give credit where credit is due, Harvey Elliott and Gomez did do well to to help James Milner. But if you've got nobody else in there but Phil Foden, if you don't have uh, Cancelo overlapping him or Sergi Gomez overlapping or whoever it might be, then it's pretty easy to deal with. Phil Foden's a fantastic player, but he's he's not going to win three versus one down in the corner by himself. I, I just felt like there was some really easy tactical shifts. Put a kanji at right back, move Cancelo over to left back, and then you've got more of an attacking threat down that left-hand side, and that's more for Milner Elliot and Gomez to deal with, but we didn't. We just kept moving the ball slowly, I might add, and Pep was very angry about this. I don't know if you caught this on TV, but he was really annoyed that when Ake or Diaz picked up the ball, they didn't ping it out to Kevin De Bruyne. They would move it the ball on the ground one by one by one all the way out to him, and Pep was losing his mind. Mm. So that's that's my issue. I felt like the deficiencies were there and they were really obvious. But City didn't do anything to attack those deficiencies when I felt like it was a very basic in-game shift that could have been made to attack those deficiencies. I felt like we made Milner, Gomez, Elliott, we made their day far easier than it should have been. When everybody looking at those lineups coming in being like, oh, that's an issue for for Liverpool. That side down there is an issue. We didn't make it an issue for them. No. Potentially not. I, I'll add to that as well. Um, Akanji and Rodri were really slow in moving the ball. You know, it wasn't just a Nathan Ake problem. It wasn't just a Diaz problem. That that whole section in mm-hmm. in sort of from goalkeeper to holding midfielder w- was really sluggish in possession. Really sluggish in possession. Um, I think this potentially is where my opinion differs a little bit from yours. You mentioned the fact that Phil Foden was was. And, and without knowing entirely, I'm going to guess Phil Foden was shifted to that side because Liverpool had injuries to their main starting right back in Trent Alexander-Arnold. And, and they knew it was either going to be Joe Gomez or it was going to be James Milner playing that role. However, it sort of it, half the problems eliminated for Liverpool in the sense they don't have Trent Alexander-Arnold, who for me, I think is a fantastic player and, and some of the stick has been unjustified. That's a conversation for a completely different day. But because... James Milner was never going to go across the halfway line. His whole job for the entire 90 minutes was to essentially man-mark Phil Foden out of the game. And the only time you saw Phil Foden get any luck was when he drifted infield and was able to pick the ball up in those central areas and run at the, the Joe Gomez and Van Dijk from, from the middle. Couple that with the fact you have Harvey Elliott dropping in and then you have Joe Gomez covering on the, on the opposite side. I saw someone say, a Liverpool fan actually say, if... Joe Gomez and Harvey Elliott had given that cover to Trent all season. Half half their shit wouldn't have existed this season. You know that that was exactly the way they should play with Trent in the team. They'd concede far fewer goals. And actually, if you go to the other side, Foden's played a lot of football this season on the right hand side. That was where the space was, as you've mentioned. It, for, for me, it didn't make sense to move him out of a position he's been playing superbly. It didn't make sense to take Jack Grealish out either, by the way. But Andy Robertson is the orthodox fullback. He's going to get high for Liverpool. That was where the space was. So you go into one, your best creative winger in Phil Foden, operating in space, not being marked by free players, whether or not James Milner is 36 and can't move or whether or not he's the best right back in the world. Three players versus one is always going to be a difficult challenge, no matter how good the player is. So the fact that Phil Foden was moved made Liverpool's life so much easier. And then obviously on that right-hand side, there was no real attacking outlet. 
I mean, I can't even. I can't even. Can you tell me who was the who was the furthest right uh, player on the right? Bar Cancelo out of the out of the midfield because it was either Gundogan, it was De Bruyne, but I I, I don't know because there was nothing there. It was like Robertson could just play as a sort of orthodox left winger instead of a fullback. When you look at City's average position chart, it was Kevin De Bruyne that was the farthest wide, mm. and it, it was clear that the ideal was to get the ball on the kind of left flank and ping the ball over to De Bruyne, he would have some space because, as you said, Robertson goes forward a bit more and then he can kind of do his thing from out wide, put balls into the box to Holland and, and whoever. Um, the issue was, and I don't, I, I don't want to continue picking on them, but this was a glaring issue. The issue was Nathan Ake, Ruben Diaz being the two center backs on the left-hand side of, of a back three, which it turned out to be a, more of a back three. They aren't your ball-playing center backs. So if if your plan is to move the ball quickly, and I mean quickly, from left to right to Kevin De Bruyne, Laporte's got to be the one doing it, right? Mm, he, yeah, that that yeah, is yeah, his yeah. thing. That is his thing is that raking ball from the left side of defense out to the right wing. Um, and yeah, th- this is where we differ because I agree with you, Robertson's going to go forward more and that leaves more space. I don't think necessarily that moving Phil Foden over to the left made Liverpool's lives easier. I think what made their lives easier is that he was there alone. If you also have Bernardo coming in there and do, think think of think of the United game, mm-hmm. what was what was causing United's defense issues? It was that in that little half space on that left-hand side, Cancelo, Grealish, Bernardo, and even Holland would pop in, and they were just kind of working their little magic, rotating in and out, all sorts of fluid movement, ball movement. That's what ripped them to shreds. Whereas in this game with Liverpool, and you have Gomez and Milner and Elliott over there, if you've got Foden, Bernardo, Cancelo, Grealish, whoever it might be, all in there buzzing around, it's a lot more to deal with. So I think it, not not only did Pep miss the trick in moving him over there, but he, he only did it halfway. He said, I'm going to move you over there, but I'm going to give you no assistance, basically. So it's like you've made the correct decision. For me, the correct decision was to move him over there because I think he was the best man to expose that left side of of, or right side of Liverpool's defense, but he didn't give him any assistance in that. So he was kind of hung out to try. Um, But I think we go all the way back to the beginning with Jack Grealish here Mm -hmm. because – with Jack Grealish, you can be more direct, but he's also a guy that can put his foot on top of the ball, slow the tempo down, and do that controlling possession style of play when you want to do that, and then he can go. Mm. Whereas you only had one option with this setup, and that was the controlling, move the ball slowly. No, Nobody really had the idea to go, or they didn't have the assistance to do it, essentially. Which is... It isn't Phil Foden's game. We've we've spoke so many times about the fact Phil Foden is not a tempo setter. He is that sort of one man blitz can take four plays on and create something out of nothing. It, Jack Grealish's mission has baffled me, completely baffled me. With considering how how the team was set up to play, because he is the man, like you say, foot on top of the ball, move it, little passes, short interchanges, and and I mean when whenever City have dropped points this season, it's three times now in the Premier League. Jack Grealish has played a combined total of zero minutes. Uh, you, uh, you can sort of look at it, and, and I mean, I had a reply to that tweet. Some people saying, well, Scott Carson hasn't. And, and I mean, 
Scott Carson hasn't played any games this season, so there's that one. But you can look at it and go, you know, there's other players who haven't played any minutes. It does. It isn't just on him. But I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that City's most controlling attacker in a setup like that, a stadium like that, which City clearly have an issue with. Let, let, you know, we'll speak about the um, the rivalry and, and the, the referee decisions in a sec, but City clearly have an issue with that problem, uh, with that stadium, sorry. And, and for me, it felt like it was either wrong system, right players, or right system, wrong players. And like I've said, you just got this sort of halfway house in between. Some players were doing the right thing. Some players were doing the wrong thing. Some players were there to do a different thing. It it was just a weird, weird afternoon. Weird afternoon. Again, this just goes back to me, what I said earlier about Pep playing United in, in the earlier days, whereas we would be on these, you know... 17 game winning streaks or whatever just blitzing teams and 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 ripping them to shreds and then united would come to town and all of a sudden we treat them like the greatest thing since sliced bread we play this really passive controlling game because we want to limit the counterattacks and rashford can hit us on the break and martial can hit us on the break and then one day pep was like wait a second we're way better let's just treat them like they're crystal palace and we'll blitz them and we'll win mm-hmm. and now we blitz them every game and win every game I, I truly just I, you I will always go back to if you go into this game with the mentality that it's just another game, you win it. But it's it's clear that it's treated as not just another game. When look at Liverpool's season, look at where they are, look at the teams they're dropping points to, look at the amount of goals they're conceding. But we treated them like it was 2020 Liverpool that had an immense amount of threat to us. When in reality, they didn't really. They didn't really have that much threat. For God's sakes, I would pay money to watch Darwin Nunez on the break for hours and hours and hours. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. They weren't that threatening. Um, mm. You mentioned after the game that, um, and we got, for to pull the curtain down for our our, uh, our listeners, we got into a very heated discussion after mm. the game. I think it ended with me mm. saying, I'm fucking over this. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> um, uh you know, one of the things that, yeah. that you were saying was you didn't think it was that conservative and, and really City controlled things no, well. and ha- Okay, then then explain yourself. Okay, uh, so for me, one of the, the lasting impressions I had from this match, you know, I went to sleep last night and I'll be honest, that, that game really got under my skin. I, other defeats, I've, you know, turned whatever off, I've left the stadium. It's not bothered me. It's not bothered me at all. That one, for some reason, and... and Again, it's part of the the discussion that we'll get onto very shortly in terms of everything else. But for me, one of the lasting memories of that game was four Liverpool players on the break, on transition, against one poor Manchester City defender. I think Nathan Ake must have done it three or four times, as he as he does so fantastically cover and and get a, across a, a one man last ditch block or whatever it may be. Obviously, eventually they score from a goal and, and a bit of a Cancelo mistake. It happens. Hands up. Fair play. I don't think in that stadium, in that environment, because yes, Liverpool haven't been great this season, but don't forget, this is largely the same team, bar Mane who left, largely the same team who were one game and 20 minutes away from a quadruple last season. For me, a lot of Liverpool's issues have been psychological. It has been... Uh, they've not they've not played horrendously. They've not been great. They're, they're nowhere near the same team they were even last season they're a shadow of the former selves true but they are still a good football team 
and City can lose to any football team because of the way they play. It happens. That is football. And I didn't want City to get into a ding-dong basketball heavyweight end-to-end battle because I felt in that environment, and I guess it kind of did. The Anfield crowd, while we may throw up in our mouths when we say it, it can help. Liverpool and it does help Liverpool and City clearly have a problem with that whether or not you can say to that because I don't for a second think Guardiola sat in the dressing room going shit guys it's Anfield just whatever you do just just be careful I, I don't think for a second that was the approach I, I, I truly believe he said you know we've done this all season go out and do whatever we want for me the issue came with the system and the plays and the and this and but they, the way they haven't done this all season because they did who, things City they they did things entirely differently from how they've what they've done all season, and that's the issue. Yeah, so 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 the system. I mean, the mentality. I'm not saying that the 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 message. But even the mentality, the mentality be. felt different to me. The mentality well, didn't feel like let's go out and be the better team. We have you you said it yourself. We've blitzed teams this season, mm-hmm. and and let's be clear. This is not blitzing teams in a way that is hell for leather, leave ourselves exposed at the back, like Liverpool have at times in in the last two seasons where they play an insanely high line and they're extremely exposed at the back, we can still blitz teams and control games. The way that we blitz teams is by controlling the game. And when we have control and we pin them into their own half, we're direct. And we have players that can be direct and powerful and pacey. And Holland is there and Foden can run at people and Grealish can run at people and De Bruyne can put his Mm -hmm. balls in at the back post, whatever. But this game, it felt like let's control the game. But I did feel like there was a fear. I totally felt like there was a fear. And they said, let's control this game and take no risks. Because if we take any risks, we're going to get burnt the other way. That's that yeah. that and that's different. It's different from how they've played against United. It's different from how they've played against Borussia Dortmund. It's different from how they've played against Crystal Palace. Whoever Bournemouth are ahead of this team. We're ahead of this team in the, in the table before this game. <laughs> Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. We um, treat we treated them different, and they're not. <laughs> See, this is where this is where we will just have to say agree to disagree because I I don't for a second think City went into the game feeling inferior I, I don't I think it's I, I, like I said I think City clearly have an issue with this stadium you can debate that to the hills till the cows come home you know I don't L- long I before it, Pep long yeah, before yeah, Pep. Yeah, long, yeah. long before yeah. long before the Abu Dhabi United group it's yeah, yeah. yeah 100% and, and, I, I, and again I don't buy the argument well it's different players well like a club has an issue City more than any team knows what it's like to have a long lasting issue with success or whatever um right we can continue to chat about that, but we'll we'll we will move on because there are a few facets to this defeat, and we'll we'll get into the uglier side of things with what went on in the terraces, in the concourse, and of course on the touchline. Um, before we do though, let's have a very 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 quick chat about VAR and the decision to disallow City's goal for a foul from Haaland on Fabinho. Now there was correspondence after the game that apparently VAR would have cancelled the goal out anyway because Allison had the ball in his hands and Haaland. And as VAR said, kicked it out. Fair enough, whatever. However, all we know at this point is the fact the goal was checked and ruled out for the Haaland took of the shirt. And, and for me, I've always seen VAR work backwards from the goal. So if it was to be, if, if they were going to disallow it for the ball in the hand anyway, they would have checked that first, surely, because that came after. So I, I'm not quite sure if they thought that was the issue. For, for me, I feel like they did, the, the, the only problem with the goal was with the tug of the shirt. 
Now, I think it's safe to say in complete isolation, everyone, I'm sure, can agree that it's a foul from Haaland. It's a textbook foul. It's a pull of the shirt. Is it soft? Of course, but that's the way things are now. The frustration comes, and this was something the players and the managers spoke about post-match. When you have a game refereed at at such a pace as it was by Anthony Taylor, fouls like that were commonplace, and, and, and worse fouls from both sets of players were let go. The one time Anthony Taylor took a stand was to rule a goal out. And I guess the question I pose to you and I pose to everyone else, is it okay for referees to call VAR reviews with a different approach to the way they handle the rest of the game? Now, if the answer to that is yes, then Anthony Taylor was absolutely right to disallow City's goal because, as we said, in isolation, it was a foul. However, if the answer is no... The frustration from the players, from the supporters, from the manager, etc., etc., is completely justified because judging a foul based on its outcome isn't what the game, isn't what the laws dictate, isn't what the referee is there to do. It's creating a different scenario based on the outcome of a of a situation, and that's what it's felt like has happened here. Yeah, this. See, I'm caught in two minds here. Initially. I was not angry about the goal getting ruled out. When I saw the replays, when they were doing the VAR check, I said, yeah, that's a foul. They're probably going to take that away. Yeah, the yeah, the commentary team on, on US television said, yeah, that's a foul. They're probably going to take the goal away. Um, but like you brought up, my anger with the goal being disallowed grew and grew and grew throughout the game when, as you said, similar or even more severe fouls were let go. And And I thought Anthony Taylor had a very good game. Because he recognized the fact that this is a extremely high intensity game, probably one of the most intense games he'll ever referee in his career. Mm. And he said, there's going to be a lot of shirt pulling and 50-50 challenges and shoulder to shoulder challenges. There's going to be a lot of that. If I start blowing the whistle for every single one, there's going to be 150 minutes of stoppage time. We're going to be here all day. So. I thought that he had a very good day in letting things go and and as they as they say in youth sports here let the boys play. I think he let the boys play mm-hmm. from from there on out, but the issue was like you said, the one time you go back and start calling ticky-tacky fouls is when it leads to a goal. Now, I don't know what the laws state. Like do the laws state that because a goal is a higher stakes moment in the run of play that you do have to go back and look for infractions? Or is it that you treat it as any other moment of the run of play where it doesn't matter that a goal was scored? If you are allowing these fouls to to play out in the rest of the game, you have to allow it here. I don't know. There, there might be – the referees might be instructed to be like, hey, if there's a goal, you need to go back and check for infractions or the VAR is, is checking for infractions. Um so I don't know, but but like I said, I, I I wasn't angry about it initially. I was angrier as it went on, and and we saw that less and less of those fouls were being called. But I don't think for one minute that that goal. I mean, it does change things, obviously, but I don't think it's like City lose the game because of one disallowed goal. That's interesting. That's interesting because I think there's a discernible difference after the disallowed goal because. You have the celebrations, you have the elation, you have that sense of, oh shit, we've done it. We scored a goal at Anfield. We're in the lead at Anfield with what would it have been thirty-five minutes or so left. I, I, I think there is, and I guess the, the 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 overriding point here is all fouls are equal 
until they're not essentially and until one leads to goal one that that foul doesn't become as equal as the other and it's just for me someone who was and and we had this chat after the Copenhagen game so we won't take obviously long but for someone who was anti-VAR to start off with for someone who didn't want this to come into football and you can call me granddad whatever blah, blah blah for someone who was against this introduction it's frustrating seeing stuff like this play out because it completely changes the fabric of, of the sport itself. And and again, this is a conversation for another time. So so we'll, we'll move on to another bigger issue. There's loads of it today. We, we're having a right ramble. Um, so we'll try and tackle this as best as we can. Now, the fallout from the match, Adam, you you wake up about eight hours before me. I woke up this morning, checked my phone, and I was like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those days. It was much worse than any of us, I think, could imagine um, at full time. So I'll, I'll do my very best to put it in some form of coherent timeline. Now, almost immediately after full time, it comes out City have alleged Liverpool fans threw coins at Pep Guardiola following the disallowed goal. Pet references this in his interviews. Shortly after full-time, about an hour afterwards, Liverpool released a statement expressing their disappointment in City fans for singing songs that relate to, and I quote, football stadium disasters. On the night of the game, neither club has commented on the allegations made towards the other, while also commenting on the allegations that were, were they, they put out, if that makes sense. Around midday on Monday, news comes out that City's team bus was attacked by Liverpool's while leaving Anfield. The front windscreen has been cracked. In the same media briefing, they say that they'll make a formal complaint to the FA regarding what went on during the game and after, but also condemn City supporters for the chants that were heard inside the stadium. Around the same time, it comes out via a Liverpool spokesman in the media that they'll review CCTV footage of the game and issue lifetime bans for anyone caught throwing coins. While this is all going on, a report in the Times said that the uh, from a city source close to the club blamed part of the rise in tensions from the game on Jurgen Klopp's pre-match comments, labelling some of them as borderline xenophobic. Now, that just about sums up what has been a really toxic 24, quite childish toxic 24 hours or so from both sides, and an illustration where the relationship is at with both clubs. Yeah, I... I'm not going to sit here and place blame at anyone's door. I think everybody are the losers here. I think Mm. everybody comes out of this looking like a dick, essentially. Um, The things I'll agree with, um, I felt like... The thing is, is Klopp's done this before, but I did feel like he was really, really kind of stoking the fire beforehand. Mm. And, and, you know, the club have, you know, Khaldun in his... Um, end of season interviews before has brought up the fact that the club do not like it when other managers or other club officials come out and they kind of rope city in with other clubs owned by um, whether it's Middle Eastern owners or um, what are, what other what ethnic tag you want to give them. And he says, you know, it's frankly, it's disgusting. And that's something that Klopp did that I was vehemently against was him mm. basically putting City's owners, Newcastle's owners in the same bag. And you have to think that ethnicity comes into that. I'm not labeling Klopp as anything. I'm not going to because yeah. I don't I don't know the man. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to address. But we've seen the videos of the chants from the away end from City fans. And it, let's be honest, it wasn't a minority. It was, no. a, it was a majority. 
And those chants are vile and disgusting. And City aren't the only club to do this. And every single human being that walks into a stadium and mocks the death of other human beings should be never be walking into a stadium ever again mm-hmm. in their life because that's not what football is about. You're not welcome at football. Um, but yeah, it was... It's rough to see. I mean, it's just nobody comes out a winner here. And obviously everybody on each side is going to be saying, well, you did this, so we did this, and then mm-hmm. you did that, and we did this. But just everybody comes out the loser, and it's it's tiring. And 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 I got to say, the media has stoked a lot of this. The media yes. is loving this, and they're yeah. really saying, well, Liverpool fans did this. What do you guys have to say about that, City fans? Oh, City mm-hmm. fans did this. What do you have to say about that, Liverpool fans? And it's just constantly stoking the fire. And you know you – know, when Liverpool come to the Etihad and whenever it is in the spring, it's it's going to happen again and it's probably mm. going to be worse and it's going to continue to escalate until somebody comes in to do something about the escalation. And we have, we've seen from in the past, authorities aren't going to do enough to stop the no. escalation. No, well, immediately, I didn't include it in the timeline, but amongst that, there was um, news from the FA that it is outside their jurisdiction to um, issue punishments on either team. I mean, what the fuck? It's a Basically, it's a football game in England. What's yeah, what? Yeah. What are you then? What do you do? Yeah, exactly. And I mean that's that's the FA epitomised. And, and and I'll pick up on what you said about the media because what I will say on this City versus Liverpool rivalry, it hasn't come as a surprise for years since Liverpool emerged as City's closest challengers around 2018 or so. Sections and and you know I'll I'll use that word um, importantly. It's only sections of the media have been pushing these two against each other and trying to turn it into a fixture that it, it, it really isn't, to be honest. Traditionally, the two clubs have been quite civil with each other and that's something demonstrated by the manager's relationship. And despite protestations from the fans claiming that there isn't a rivalry here, it still continues to be peddled by, by some outlets, by some journalists, by some sections of the media, as if it's this sort of remastered version of Arsenal versus United from the early 2000s, when it really isn't. And I don't think it's a coincidence that finally one of these fixtures has boiled over in, in this, this sense, because it was coming at the back end of last season. And obviously there was the issue in the FA Cup semi-final with the Hillsborough minute silence. And there was, um, going back all the way to 2018, obviously City's bus was attacked. You know, there's all these sort of little bits building up to something like this. And like you say, something has to be done because there's going to be a serious incident, I feel, on or off the pitch in the coming matches. And no, I mean, I don't want to sound like that guy, but nobody wants to see it get that far. We like to see competitive football. We like to see when teams go at each other. We like to see fierceness on the pitch. But when it spills over to stuff like we saw on Sunday, no. Yeah, I completely agree. But but what gets done? Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not like English football to ban away fans. <clears throat> the Premier League would never allow that. It's their mm. it's their like shining their shining yeah. star is their the aesthetics of watching a match on TV and seeing the away fans and the atmosphere. And I don't see what they can do. One thing that I think would absolutely help is people like Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp coming out and speaking about these things and saying, you know our fans can't be doing this and and it shouldn't be about dressing addressing the other team yeah, at all yeah, 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 it should yeah, be yeah. about addressing your own house Jurgen Klopp should be coming out by the way and saying my actions on the touchline were disgusting and you know that his his actions because he's the prime minister of copland that <laughs> his actions on the touchline absolutely fueled what was happening in the stadium as well mm-hmm. you, and him going off on the referees and and 
he's got to come out, apologize for his actions and say, you know, it's a bad example. I think he did condemn the throwing of coins, if I remember yes. correctly. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Um, but I think the managers need to come out and say something and, and you know, say, we've got this great rivalry on the pitch and we've mm-hmm. had these fantastic games and this is absolutely tainting it. And we don't want this to be tainted. We'd I'd like to look back in 10 years when City have nine Premier League titles and Liverpool have won. I'd like to look back on this time and be yeah. like, those were great games. I mean, they were horrible in the moment, but those yeah. were great games. The the two one at the Etihad, the the two two at the Etihad, the the two two last season at Anfield. I'd like mm-hmm. to look back and be like, that was a great time. Not look back and be like, God, that was a toxic time. But that's mm-hmm. what we're headed towards right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll throw in a couple of Liverpool wins in there. I think we'll look back, and, and we already are. When Liverpool were, you'd City go to Anfield, and you know you'd be. You'd be trailing one nil after five minutes, and Liverpool would be three 0 up at half time. You know, both clubs have played a part in this fantastic, fantastic fixture. I'm not calling it a rival; I'm calling it a fixture. They've played a superb part in it on the pitch, and and I guess that's where it has to stay because it's, like you say, the word is toxic. It, it, it's past the point now, and and you know something has to change. If that's at the the top, if that's with the clubs, for me, education is key. On on the Hillsborough chat, and and you know we'll keep it brief. Education is key. Because mob mentality plays a huge part of this. And, and people chanting, like you say, it was the majority. But some won't understand why that's wrong. So being able to understand the reasons why what was chanted is bad is, is crucial. Or else we just keep going back and back and back. And, you know, we, we regress as people. And football fans are, are fantastic. Away ends are fantastic. That's a perfect, perfect example of English football. And it can't. It can't be let uh, to, to go like it has done. Um, right, that's been a big part. We'll do. We'll leave it there for part one. I'll be back in part two with a slightly happier section where I'm joined by Alex Brotherton to go over City Women's four nil victory over Leicester City at the weekend. I'm joined by Alex Brotherton of the MEN. Um, Alex, at least one team in City Blue this weekend got a win. City Women 4, Leicester City 0. The exact same scoreline City beat Leicester by on the run into Champions League qualification last season. First win of the campaign for City Women. You were there to watch it at the Academy Stadium. And you have to say it was a much needed win in the context of City start. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, City obviously lost their opening two games of the season at Aston Villa and and Chelsea, and uh, the pressure was you know after a, a pretty tough summer off the pitch, lots of um, sort of key and senior players departing, quite a few new players coming in. Uh, Gareth Taylor's been under pressure, and those two games were sort of only added to that. But um, yeah, it was it was a really good performance from City, just what they needed um, to you know to to sort of not get supporters back on side because I don't think, you know, there was there was confidence that they were sort of going to get back to winning ways. But um, I think it was obviously good for the team morale uh, and good for the players. And and yeah, it was a pretty pretty thoroughly convincing. Um, Leicester had a one maybe clear chance in the whole game, but, you know, City were pretty dominant. Um, I think they had something like oh, about 75% possession of the ball. Never really looked like the game was going to get away from them at all. Whilst the uh, chaos was unfolding just shortly shortly down the road, it was a, a real confidence booster for Gareth Taylor's side and, and a win, as you mentioned, he really, really needed. Um, no wins in the last three competitive matches. You include the Real Madrid Champions League uh, 
qualifier in there. Obviously, one competitive win at the start of the season in that qualification phase. But in terms of the big matches, City have struggled this year. And it, it was sort of summed up by the Chelsea game last time out, which seems like a, a million years ago now. Um, but that was City's last game in the WSL. So to get back to winning ways, or sorry, to start winning ways was mightily important. Um, two goals for Bunny Shaw. She, she got two of City's four. We saw her qualities quite a lot last season, but she was often playing second choice to Ellen White. Ellen White had this seniority role, obviously captain at times too. Bunny Shaw, 25 years old, Jamaican international, record Jamaican goal scorer too. She's a top, top talent, so important in and around the box, a little bit like Erling Haaland in that sense. And we saw that against Leicester in that those sort of those two goals, one off the penalty miss, and then obviously the first one with a header, two touches, two goals. It, it, it's almost the perfect centre forward performance. Yeah, she was really good, um, Bunny Shaw. Um... As you say, she was obviously at the club last season, not always in the team because of Ellen White. And um, she scored a f- few decent amount of goals last season, but there was always, there always seemed to be something of a, maybe not something a, a bit raw about her. And sometimes it was a bit unpredictable. She wasn't always too reliable, but in obviously before today as well, um, she scored in that win, uh, sorry, defeat at Aston Villa in the first game. But uh, yesterday, yeah, she was, it was a pretty good great I'd even say performance that um you know she just offers kind of a complete package up front really it's obviously she's she is a very sort of physically imposing strong player she's really tough for defenders to deal with and and that was kind of shown with that first goal because I think it was Lauren Hemp stands up a ball into the box and um and obviously Bunny Shaw just out jumped the defenders sent a really good looping header into into the far corner um so obviously just the the strength and the the sort of awareness to to beat the defenders there, and obviously the you know the clinical finishing to send in in the header, um, and then you know she was sharp and alert for her second goal. Um, she got tripped in the box for a penalty. Alex Greenwood, pretty tame effort from the spot, was palmed away by the goalkeeper, um, but Shaw was you know alert enough to sort of nip into the box and, and tap home the rebound. So um, yeah, a brace. It's you know it's must be really sort of. Good for her individual confidence, knowing that you know now she there is a bit more added pressure on her this season. She is the main striker, um, and uh, I, I asked Gareth Taylor about this after the game, just sort of like how important is it, you know, to keep her confidence and but also you know for her teammates to know that she is taking on this extra res- responsibility now that Ellen White is uh, has retired and Bunny is now the main striker, and, and he was really happy and saying she showed her quality last season, but. She's only sort of increasing that now and, and looks like she's going to be a, a really important player for City this season. Yeah, th- there was a lot of clamour at times last season when, when things looked like they were going a little bit stale. Obviously, City had a lot of injuries um, last time around, but th- there was a lot of clamour for Bunny Shaw to be playing ahead of Ellen White. And, and it was a sort of, not so much token gesture, it felt like, but but it did feel as though there was a better striker on the bench at times. And she started the season in fantastic fashion. Um, you mentioned the, the the assister for her goal, her first goal, being Lauren Hemp. Well, she, she turned goal scorer um, in the second half for, for City second. Chloe Kelly this time providing Lauren Hemp with the cross. Now, for my money, after the summer exodus, where obviously City lost the likes of Caroline Ware, Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh late on in the window, they're two of City's most important players for me. And having them on top form is crucial to what 
whatever City achieve this season, whether or not it's Champions League qualification, whether or not it's a domestic trophy, whether or not it's potentially getting themselves back into the title race, if those two aren't firing, City can forget about anything else. Yeah, I think for my money, they are City's two best players and they they were definitely their two best players yesterday. They're both just so so direct and really, really difficult for defenders uh, to cope with and and obviously we you know Leicester uh, with no disrespect to Leicester they have lost all four of their games mm. now they are one of the weaker teams uh, if not the weakest team in the WSL so there was a clear sort of um, gap in in quality but you know even the best as we saw at the Euros even the best sort of defenders in Europe struggle to cope with Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly when they're when they've got a bit of space in front to run at and and you know you just you don't know if they're going to go out to the wide to the byline whether they're going to cut in uh both of them are pretty confident doing either um and they've both got quality as well it's not all just about directness it's no point in being direct and taking people on if you haven't got um the quality of your delivery um the ability to make something happen in and around the box and both of them have it in spades you know as you said it was a great cross from Chloe Kelly to pick out um, Hemp at the back post, really good header actually. Um, you don't really associate Lauren Hemp with with diving far post headers into the roof of the net, but yeah, it was she did really well to um, to obviously get to the ball, but obviously control the header. Not it'd be very easy in that situation to kind of just make contact and then see where the ball goes. But yeah, it was um, it was a really good finish. Yeah, Hemp in the in the post match presser, Lauren uh, spoke about um, how confident you know the squad are feeling now after that win, but saying she was already kind of confident. She's not let the early season struggles kind of knock her back too much. Um, And yeah, this win's only going to help with that, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's the start of a really important period for City, not necessarily because there's um, tough fixtures coming up, but there's these games coming up where City really can get a, a good winning streak going on. Tottenham are up next in the WSL. Now, they're a side who have caused big teams problems in the past under Rianne Skinner, but they're they're sort of this emerging middle class of WSL teams who are not threatened by the bottom, having promoted in 2019, I think it was, but they're also not quite up to the level to challenge City, Chelsea, United and Arsenal. And then there's winnable matches against the likes of Liverpool, who came up as champions of the championship last year, and Reading, who are, who are, I think, going into the weekend with bottom. I'm not quite sure if they still are. City really should be getting a minimum of seven points from those possible nine, if not nine. Anything but, however, and you feel as though, though that, that noise around Gareth Taylor's future that was there at the start of the season was subdued by the, the Leicester victory will probably pipe back up if it isn't a really convincing set of results coming up. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair assessment. I don't think um I don't think the sort of grumbles in the background about about Taylor are just going to disappear because you've you've beaten one of the lesser teams in the division comfortably at home in a game that everyone expects you should win. Um yes, it was a very good performance and he and the players deserve praise for that, but as you said, they have got to now kick on and you know do what is expected of Manchester City with all the talent that they do still have. Um, and especially as after the game, you know, Taylor did actually say that slightly controversially, maybe that this is, he feels this is the best City squad that he's had. And that's after all the players that you mentioned that left in the summer. Um, so yeah, you'd be expecting that they should be taking close enough maximum points, if if not slightly under from from the upcoming games. And if not, you know, 
sort of hopes of of qualifying for the Champions League um, playoffs again um, is is going to be under threat. And obviously, you can forget about the league if if they're not beating um, if they're not getting maximum points in the games you'd expect them to. Um, so yeah, they do really need to kick on. Uh, otherwise, you know. It's not going to be long until the sort of grumblings come back about his about what he's doing at City, and uh, there'll be some supporters calling for his head. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, nice little bit, little bit of PR from Gareth Taylor there. Best ever City squad after losing Kerry Walsh, Caroline Ware, and George Stanway. Um, Alex, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure as always. We'll, we'll check in as the season goes on. But yeah, good win for City women. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice that at least one City team ended the weekend with a win, wasn't it, Adam? Um, I guess what? To, to cheer things up, as you know, us two joyous lot, we'll finish with a little game to uh, to, to end on a high. Now, here's how it's going to work and, and play along at home as well. I'm going to read out the career path of a City player from the last 12 years. I've got three lined up. We'll see how long it takes. We might not get through all of them. I need you, Adam, and the listener as well, to tell me which player it is. And for a bonus point, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one of the clubs they've played at out. Can you tell me the club that they've played at? So first of all, what player it is. Second of all, can you name the club that is missing? Now, for starters, I'm I'm gonna say it's a little bit of an easy one, but you may you may disagree. Um, excuse my pronunciation because it's uh, yeah, it's not great. Um, starting off with. Zelenshnikstikia. Um, yeah, I'll leave that there. Um, second club, Teplishi. Third club, Ushti Nad Laban on loan. Fourth club, VFL Vusberg. Fifth club, Manchester City. Club that's been taken out. Final club, Inter Milan. Can you tell me which Manchester City player that is? And can you tell me which club I took out? Ed and Dzeko, and you took out... One after City, right? Yeah. Roma. Spot on. I, I, I need somebody to tell me how to pronounce those first three because that I thought is... that maybe the the uh Zoom call was glitching and it was just <laughs> like static. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean it's not gonna get much better because we'll start off with player two. Um first club. Salunu Quenyo. Salunuyo Quenyo. Second club, Ejashia. Third club. Barcelona B, take a club out, Benfica, Granada, Celta Vigo, Manchester City, Sevilla, Celta Vigo, Ibiza. Can you tell me who that player is and what club was taken out for a bonus point? Nolito. Correct, Amundo. Can you tell me the bonus bonus club? Can you tell me the order... Where the missing one is again? So it was between Barcelona B and Benfica. I only played two times for this club. A little bit of a red hair in there as well. Where did he go after City? Um, he went to Sevilla, then to Celta Vigo again. And he didn't. Currently, I can't remember where we signed him from now. Because oh, you're right that he he signed for them and then almost immediately signed for us. In a way, right? Because he played he played so briefly for them. No, no, no. He signed from Celta Vigo, who who's been mentioned. So it's a club earlier on in his career. It's a I, really I don't tough know. on this. Yeah, I don't know. So he went to Barcelona B and then had a season in the Barcelona squad. 
That's that's what I thought, but I just couldn't picture him yeah. being in the Barca squad. No, what year would it, what year would have this been? Uh, Twenty ten eleven. So you so know, was it Pep's? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been. I don't know what if Weird. he got any trophies or you know if he got a Champions League that season. I guess he probably would. He would have been in the squad. Um, right. Okay. So you've got three out of four points so far. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this one then. Starting off at club number one, FC Can. Club number two, AC Milan. Take a club out. Club number four, Juventus. Club number five, Inter Milan. Club number six, Manchester City. Now that's one you're either going to get straight away or you're going to struggle with. And so they they retired a City player. They retired a City player. And they went from Juventus to Inter to, to City, Inter. having also played for AC Milan. And started this the career in France, professional career with Con. You're gonna if you don't get this, you're gonna hate yourself. I I I know that I'm gonna hate myself. Yeah. I have a feeling that it's a player that only played for City briefly. But had like a had a <clears throat> how many years they played for City? I need some clues here. I I can't I I, I can't give you any clues. I I'm, I know, you know I'm gonna be so angry here. Tell me the answer. I know I'm gonna be angry. Do you want me to tell you the club that I took out? Yeah, go on. So you don't obviously don't get the bonus point, but I took out Arsenal. Does that make it a little bit easier? It should no, really I'm, should. I'm, I'm, bl- oh I'm absolutely blanking right now. So okay, so so to reiterate, SE Can, AC Milan, Arsenal, Juventus, Inter Milan, Manchester City. It is of course current Crystal Palace manager, Patrick Vieira. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of sums up this weekend footballing wise doesn't it <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty angry with myself here in my head I was thinking this is obviously some, obviously somebody with a storied career they retired a city player but you don't play at all those clubs without being yeah. a top player <sighs> see right. I was thinking I was thinking taking Arsenal out I mean, maybe keep keeping Arsenal in would have made it too easy, but I was thinking taking Arsenal out was like, oh, right, okay, there's a big gap there. 279 yeah. appearances. Or, uh, yeah, but you didn't give me that. Exactly. You didn't give me the, mean, the appearances look, look, and stuff. So Look, I'm the quiz master. I get to write the rules. Um, right, we'll call it a day. Like I said, that, that last round pretty much summed up City's footballing weekend. A, a blazingly obvious win taken away at the last moment. You finished with uh, three out of six points available having words um adam it's been a pleasure it's been something yeah yeah shout out to alex as well who, who jumped in with the review of the women's game go and check out his work over at the manchester evening news and on his twitter as well i've been amos murphy and until next time we'll see you later The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. 
That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.